Um, morning, everyone. We're going to be reading from um, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. can be found on page 828 of the Pew Bibles. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. Each part does its work. Well, what we were doing yesterday was trying to see the church, not from the world's perspective, not from our own experiences, but we were trying to see the church the way God sees the church. And when God sees this, what does He see? And um, I think we saw some huge things, things that take a really massive um, mind shift and an ongoing, an ongoing kind of mind shift. Now, it's not really possible for me to um, run through them all, but I thought what I'd do is, is give you each point that we looked at, and rather than try and explain it, which would take too long, We'll just look at a couple of the implications that we've seen so far. Because yesterday we saw eight points and today we're going to see two more. So first of all, the first thing we saw is what you can see up there on the screen. We saw that the church is very close to the centre of God's plan for His world. And it actually always has been very close to the centre. Now what that means is, you know, as we walk through these doors, what's it possible from a human perspective to be thinking? Well, we might be thinking, possibly, hopefully not, but this is irrelevant. But what does God think when He looks at this? Well, He thinks this is very close to what it's all about, actually. Jesus and His people. Or on the flip side, we might walk through the doors and we might be thinking, this is relevant because it appeals to me. Whereas what's God thinking? Well, He looks at this and He says, no, this is relevant because it's what appeals to to me, to Him. The second thing we saw was that the church brings glory to God. 
Now, again, when we walk through those doors, we might be thinking, hopefully not, but humanly speaking, this is pathetic. What does God think, though? He thinks that this shows His power and His character, His justice, His love and His mercy. On the flip side, we might be thinking, you know, church, this is what makes me look good being here. Whereas what does God think? This shows that I am good because I take people who are not good and I make them my children. The next thing we saw, I'm very quickly racing through all of these, as you can see, just to kind of give you a bit of a snapshot for those who couldn't be there. The next thing we saw was that God loves the church. We might, hopefully not, and from my experience of, of t and this is not the case, but we might be walking through the doors thinking, or someone might walk through these doors thinking, I don't like these people. What does God think? I love these people so much that my son died for them. And he thinks that we should love them too. Or on the flip side, we might walk through these doors thinking, I love these people because they're my friends. But that's not the way that God sees it either. He says, I loved these people when they were my enemies. You should love them too. They're your brothers and sisters, even the ones that we might find annoying. We saw that the church is not the means to an end. It is the end. It, it's the goal, actually. Um, we might think, how long is this going to take when we walk through the doors? <laughs> and what does God think? Well, it's going to take forever, actually. And it's better than anything we can imagine. All eternity is going to be church. Not a church service, but what church is really about. We might be thinking, you know, what am I going to get out of this as I walk through these doors? How is this going to help me? Whereas when God looks at the church, He says, this is about fellowship, so it's actually what will you give? How will you help my people? Then we saw that church now is a taste of the end time church. Some of the things that we might think when we come to church, or when we don't come to church, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Um, whereas God says, if you love me and what I'm bringing about, then you'll love being with my people in church. Or, on the other hand, we might think, my church is the best. But another implication of this point was actually, church is going to let you down until Jesus returns. Uh, this is a, we live in a fallen world and we're fallen people. Then the sixth thing we saw that was that each local congregation is a whole church. Now we might think, you know, I might just float between different churches and kind of experience the whole church. Whereas what does God think? You experience the whole church by deep, ongoing relationships committed to God and, and committed to each other. We saw that, you know, we might be thinking the church is the denomination, the schools, the organisation, the ministers and all of that. What does God think? No. We saw that Christ builds the church. What we might be thinking, we need to make this church better. Whereas God says, no, you need to listen to me and ask me to build the church. We might be thinking, you know, if we improve stuff, we have better coffee, better music then church would be awesome. Whereas God says, no, I build the church by the gospel, the message about my son Jesus and his death and resurrection. 
And then finally, we saw that Christ builds the church through us. We might be thinking, I can just sit back and coast, whereas God says, I want every one of you to speak the gospel to the world and to apply it day by day to yourselves and to other believers. So we saw a lot. Now, I don't expect you to fully take that in, but <clears throat> maybe talk to some of those who were there and, and um, try and get them to remember what they learned yesterday. Today, we have just a couple more things that we need to see if we're going to see church from God's perspective. And this next one is super important. Here it is here. Christ gifts every member of every local church so that the church will be built up. Now, we saw this in Ephesians 4 just before, where um, we'll take it from verse 1. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The unity that we have, we don't create. God creates it. It's an unbreakable unity. Paul says there in that passage and in many other places that we're one body. And like we saw yesterday, each and every Christian church is the body of Christ. Now, in our physical bodies, of course, there's, there's a kind of unbreakable unity. It doesn't make sense for the, the different parts to be fighting each other. Uh, I got Elliot to practice a few times at home and it cracked me up every time just watching him um, punching himself and, and <laughs> going crazy. Um, now, of course, sometimes, uh, occasionally in certain diseases, our body does attack itself. Now, I know there's some doctors here. I want you to name one. We'll test you out. Diabetes, okay. We'll take your word for it. <laughs> you could have said anything. <laughs> when, it, when that happens, it's a tragic thing, right? But then it's actually ridiculous when you consider the image of a, of a body attacking itself. Well, it's actually ridiculous when you consider a church to be at war with itself, right? It's that same image. Disunity in a body, it just doesn't make sense. It's, it's ridiculous. And disunity in a church doesn't make sense. And yet we know it's going to happen in this fallen world till Jesus returns. Now, in the meantime, we're not to try to create unity. That's not what we're told to do. We're called on to maintain unity, maintain the unity that we already have in, to, in Christ. We're to express what's already there. And the way that we maintain unity is, is surprising. It's not by our sameness, it's actually by our difference. Unity is maintained by diversity. Have a look at verse 7 in Ephesians. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, 
that he might fill all things. And then verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. See that? God gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers. These are all people who use their gifts to bring the Word of God to people. And they're to do that to equip the saints for works of ministry. Who's the minister in this church? It's you and every other believer who's here, isn't it? That's what that verse is saying. To minister means to serve. A minister is literally a servant. Every single believer in a church is to be involved in the work of ministry. Not for our own sake, we read, but for the building up of the body of Christ. We don't all have the same gift, thank goodness. Imagine if everyone had the gift of preaching, but no one had the gift of leading singing. It'd be awful, right? Or imagine if everyone had the, the gift of singing, but no one had the gift of welcoming. You know, you'd walk into the church and you'd think, this place is amazing. It just sounds amazing. It's like heaven on earth. And then the service would finish and it'd be the loneliest place in the world. It'd feel like hell. We don't all have the same gifts. And, and it's a good thing. But we are to all use our gifts to work towards the same goal. Have a look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we, know, we, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, whom, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See our goal there? Our goal is to build up each other by our different gifts, by our, our work of service. Our goal is to be built up to the unity of the faith, knowing the same Son of God, not our version of Him. And our goal is to be built up to maturity, to become mature Christians, not adolescent. Our goal, we read, is to be built up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, rising and becoming like Christ Himself. Did you see what this means in verse 14? It means that we won't be prone to wrong teaching and the wrong living that always goes with it. Now, drifting happens, normally happens pretty slowly. Uh, it makes me think of one time when Kathy and I and some family hired a houseboat and um, we anchored the boat at a place one night and there were just sort of some mild waves going on and um, we woke up in the morning and we were meters from um, the kind of rocks that was on the Hawkesbury River, those kind of rocks that you got there, just meters away from it through the night we just drifted slowly, slowly, slowly and we're nearly about to lose $3,000 <laughs> 
to cover the insurance on the boat. Unless we're mature, solidly grounded, we'll actually easily drift. And that should worry us. It's not that we're likely to become Mormons or, or JWs or something like that. We're more likely to accept wrong doctrine that's more subtle than that. The winds that kind of catch our sails are most likely to be things like our views on sexuality, the place of sex before marriage, or homosexuality. It happens. It's actually so, so tempting to bring our thinking, our doctrine on these things into line with the rest of the world, to subtly change our understanding of Scripture, to start to believe that it's our job to bring God's revelation into line with modern culture. And it takes maturity to resist these winds of false doctrine. And it takes each other, we read in this passage, to get this maturity. Didn't you know, didn't you know that um, a study showed that um, people going to church shared 71% of their beliefs with the pastor? Does that make sense? So... If, if we're representative of the, you know, the group studied, right now, what I believe um, about doctrine and God, on average, you know, you guys share 71% of that. That's either good or bad, depending how you look at it, <laughs> depending on whether I'm right or wrong as well. But did you know that after leaving church for a year, walking away for a year, that drops down to 56%. And after two years, 34%. That's scary, and that's exactly what Paul's talking about. That's that slow drift that he's getting at. Now, the solution to this drift is found in verse 15. Rather, he says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is head, into Christ. Do you see the solution? We're given to each other to speak the truth in a loving way to each other. Now, speaking the truth is, is more than just making truthful, loving comments to build up egos, you know. Mike, you have nice eyes or things like that. It's much more than that. I'm not sure that that's true, actually. He looks a bit tired today. It's about speaking the truth about God, about Christ, into the lives of others to build them up to be like Christ, to be safe from false doctrine. Now, hopefully you're thinking, when was the last time that you did that? Now, I'm guessing actually it's probably been pretty recently. Community groups, conversations, all sorts of places. But could you do it more? Yeah, I, I reckon the answer is probably yes as well. This is something that we should be purposeful about. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's a joy encouraging people. Sometimes it can just about kill you. I'm serious. Some of the most stressful days of, of my life have been speaking the truth in love to people. But it's not just my job, is it? It's all of our jobs. After church, as we're hanging out on Facebook, at community groups, saying things like, your story about how you became a Christian is awesome. You know, you should tell that to as many people as who'll listen. Or saying things like, Hey, that post on Facebook make it sound, made it sound like you were drunk, drunk last night. Did I read it right? Is everything okay? Or even 
saying to each other, how are you going resisting pornography? See, we should bring all the gifts that God's given us into play here. There are several passages in the Bible that list the gifts that God's given us, and they're all slightly different, the lists. What that says is that none of those lists is exhaustive. God's gifted us in all sorts of ways. He's gifted every church with everything it needs to be built up. And He's gifted every single member of the church. There's not one believer who hasn't been given a gift by God for building up His church. Well, with each of the points in our day away up at the hills, we were um, looking and asking the question, well, what does this mean, this point mean for church now? We'll do that again today. It means, I think, that we need to ask ourselves, what's my gift? Now, already, even though I've only been here a few months, I, I know um, most of you well enough to know that you've actually been given more than one gift by God when I've, I've met you and spoken to you. Now, if you don't feel like you know your gifts, ask your friends. Try things out. Remember that gifts aren't spectacular or unique. When people have those sorts of gifts, they rarely use them in the right way. They often use them to build themselves up. What's important isn't so much the gift that you have, it's how you use it. What's important is using your gift in a loving way to build up the body of Christ. God has, has given every single one of us gifts so that we can speak the truth in love in, in many different ways, at many different times. Now, it's worth just pointing out that, that some of the gifts He gives are less about speaking and more about making um, a space for speaking the truth in love possible. Let me give you an example. If you've been given the gift of being musical enough to play the guitar, you know, how does that gift build up the church, just the music? Well, it's not by the awesome solos, it's not by making people weep with the music you play, I'm not sure if that's a positive or a negative sort of crying there. It's by creating a space in which we, the church, can speak the truth in love to each other, in this case by singing, right? The guitar playing for us creates the space for us to be able to speak the truth in love through, through the words of, of the music that we sing. If you have the gift of service, you see the building uh, needs to be set up and so you get on the logistics roster and just by the way, we need someone probably young and committed on the roster to join one of the teams. Come and talk to me afterwards if that's you, if you want to use your, the gift of the biceps that you've been given, that would be fantastic. Now, when you're doing that though, you're on the logistics roster, you're making a space for the Word of God to be spoken to each other in everything that happens here today. Now, that might never be considered a glorious ministry in the eyes of other people. But that's not why we're given the gifts from God, right? If I'm preaching for my glory, I shouldn't be preaching in church. I should sit down and shut up. If I'm playing the piano for any reason other than building up the church, then I've got it wrong. Now, that doesn't mean I, I can't enjoy it. And it doesn't mean that I shouldn't play brilliantly. It means that I should enjoy it and I should play brilliantly because it's creating a space for people to be built up. Now, Brian's going to come down the front. Brian looks after um, music overall here, and I thought it'd just be good to talk to him um, and ask him about how this works out in music. 
So, Brian, first of all, I thought I'd ask you, what would it look like if our music team, not Jack on his own today, but our music team as a whole, um, if they were using their gifts, first of all, just for their own egos, what would that actually sound like and look like? It would be an interesting experiment. Um, it, it might be lucky that we've got Jack alone today, otherwise the band might be tempted just to see what that sounds like. <laughs> I, I tried to picture the noise in my head. I think it would be a cross between punk and heavy metal. <laughs> everyone playing their instruments all at the same time. There'd be lots of brilliant drum solos from Rob. Um, I'd be singing everything an octave higher because I love the high notes. Falsetto? <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it would, it, yes, uh, but it would be a disaster because it would be a complete distraction. Yeah, okay. Um, what about the other side? Because I know our mu musicians um, aren't doing that. I know that they're using their gifts to serve God by serving us. How do because I know you've thought about this a lot, all of you, how do you as a, as a band try to use your gifts to serve us so that we can be built up? Yeah. Uh, we're very blessed, I think, um, at Trinity Northeast. We have a lot of servant-hearted musicians who do play with great sensitivity and uh, with a focus on the, on the words that we're trying to um, to sing and to uh, accompany, um, to create that space, as you're saying, to uh, help the, the, the gathering, the congregation, to uh, engage with those words uh, so that the, the gospel of Jesus becomes the focus uh, and the music is just the, the vehicle to bring that along. So, uh, you know, sometimes we have a larger group of musicians here uh, and it means that each musician has to play with sensitivity, both towards the other members of the band um, and also to you guys um, out there, uh, so we often have to play less when there's a when there's a larger band. Um, sometimes we play loud if we want to try and encourage a larger noise. Sometimes we play softly. Sometimes we pull out and and let you guys uh, be the main instrument, which really you are the main instrument in church. Your voices, um, so that we can we can hear you and be encouraged ourselves, and you can hear each other and be encouraged yourselves. Sometimes we have a smaller band, and it's great to have Jack uh, on his own today, just so that we can experience that. Um, that togetherness of, of being able to hear each other a little bit better and let you guys be the primary instrument. Great. Thanks for that, Brian. That's um, good to hear. And you know what? Across who we are at TNE is that kind of thinking of people thinking through how do we build up Christ through what we're doing in, in, in all the different aspects. Um, and I think that's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful to be a part of a church that's like that. And we need to keep doing it more and more. Well, where are you building up the church? Where is Christ building his church through you? Where, out of love, are you using your gifts to create a space for others to be built up? In as many different ways as we can, we should be speaking the truth in love to each other. Like I said, singing in our singing, praying, confessing, giving thanks, in reading the Bible, in preaching, one-to-one, -one, writing a letter, conversation after church, a phone call through the week, community groups, a Facebook uh, <laughs> try that again, a Facebook post. There's so many ways. We, we can do it incidentally, but we also need to be purposeful about it too. Now just to put this through the framework that we've been that we had at the beginning, what might this look like as we walk through these doors? Now from a human perspective, we can be tempted to think, I've got nothing to offer here. What does God think? He thinks that you are a critical part and you're needed more than you can know, more than you know, and that you've been gifted by Him to help speak the truth in love. Is that what you're thinking as you're coming through these doors? On the flip side, we can be thinking, this is a place where I can shine, right? 
It's a small pond. And what does God think? Well, he thinks that we're servants and that we should be here to serve each other. Well, we come to our final point, and it's a lot briefer than the first one. And really, this is just pulling everything together. Christ calls us to church. Are we going to be a church that uses our gifts for God's glory? Are we going to love each other, speak the truth to each other? Are we a church that um, truly values the gospel message, like we heard yesterday, that counts it more precious than our own lives, like Paul counts it more precious than his own life? Now, I just want to, for a moment, speak to those who are young here, um, teenagers and, and early 20s, that sort of thing. Let me encourage you guys to pour out your lives for Christ over the next decade. You've kind of got a freedom and an opportunity that um, some of us don't. You know, you don't have kids hanging off your arms, trying to wrestle you when you're trying to have a shower and things like that. You can sleep a whole night through and even sometimes into the day as well. You've got free nights, free weekends, free time. You're young and you're going to stay that way for a while. You've got lots of God-given opportunities. Use what you've been given to build Christ's church, to let God build His church through you. Get involved with Fix or Jam or on campus, AFES groups. But actually, it's not just to young people who've got the opportunity to build God's church, for Christ to build His church through us. All of us can take our place in God's mission. All of us have got different gifts, different opportunities, whether in our families, with our kids or others, in our workplaces, and as we gather here together. We should take inspiration from where this household, this family's heading. On that final day when we're standing there, looking at the city which God has created for us, you know, are we really going to be thinking, I wish I'd got a, a D in chemistry instead of a C? Or as we're, we're running up the streets of, of the heavenly Zion, are we really going to be thinking, I wish I'd bought a BMW in, instead of that Toyota? Or as we, we take our place there and we're praising God and laughing and, and celebrating, we're not going to be thinking, if only I'd visited Paris again, or if only, we wouldn't even be thinking if only I'd gotten married. We'll be thinking this is awesome. And we'll wonder what kind of evil thinking possessed us so that we didn't sacrifice more for this. What's our life now compared to what's to come? What's too precious for that? Nothing, right? We need to be pouring out our lives, calling, to pe calling people to this and building up Christians to stand firm as they wait for this. Now, I really hoped as we had this weekend together focusing on church that we wouldn't walk away thinking, you know, next Sunday will be different or the next month will be different. My hope and prayer was that we'd be different all the time. Every week that we gather, that we would gather as God's people looking to see how we can build up others and hope to be built up ourselves, how we can use our gifts to build up His people. You know, when I, when I speak, does it have more impact than when you speak? It doesn't, actually. Like, I think preaching's critical. But when you're sitting alongside someone in a car who's speeding and you say, hang on, slow down, I don't think that's loving the people on the road. What has more impact, me speak, speaking on not speeding or you saying that to someone sitting in the car? You do, of course. 
Or I can preach on not gossiping, right? But when you, when you say to someone who is, oh, I think there's a little bit more to the story than that, what has more impact? You do. Or I can speak on loving and building each other up, but when you listen to someone going through hardship and put your hand on their shoulder and remind them of God's love, what has more impact? You do. Use your gifts. I want to finish with a story. <clears throat> um, back when I lived in, in Wagga, um, that's kind of a picture of, of um, the farmland in Wagga, there was this young farmer who would come to church and all he'd talk about was tractors and headers and crops and silos and high-dadded cysts and rain. When I saw him, I'd actually panic. Um, you know, if I got stuck talking to him, you could kind of, I was trying not to do those kind of where your eyes roll in your head sort of thing. Now, before you judge me, he assumed you had a, a lot of prior knowledge of farming, okay? It was hard going. Most of my, my farming knowledge actually comes from him. I think I could probably run a small farm now based on that. <laughs> Even with girls, all he could talk about was his farm and they'd be stuck. You could see the panic in their eyes. They'd, they'd run a mile when they saw him coming. But my friend Dave was different to me. He was different in attitude and probably different in gifts as well. He'd listen to Lee, and very occasionally, if he got the chance, he'd talk. Dave, he didn't let Lee's awkwardness um, put him off. He, he was a genuine friend, not out of selfish motivations. And do you know what? Eventually, out of love and patience, he actually helped Lee learn how to engage in normal conversation. It just cracks me up thinking about it. Two farmers walking along, practicing conversation. Now, these days, Lee's still a farmer. Uh, he's, he's actually learnt to talk with people a lot more. He's married, he has kids. <laughs> and Dave's um, a farmer, he's still a great guy, part of a church. He's a patient, selfless guy. And you know, though, when um, Kathy, my wife, was talking to Dave's wife, um, saying how I was going to use his example to encourage that kind of patient, um, gifted, self, selfless kind of edification... Do you know what she said? She said, in the end, the edification wasn't one way. Dave himself was built up by Lee. Can you believe that? Isn't that the way it so often goes? It turns out that Lee had more than just the gift of farming, right? God had even gifted Lee to build up his people. Now, I hope that you're eager to use your gifts but way more importantly, I hope you'll use them like Dave used them, patiently, lovingly, and always to build up others. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you have gifted all of us with what we need as a church to build each other up, to become more like Christ, to be able to res resist false teaching. Lord, um, we pray that as we speak the truth in love to each other, that you would give us genuine love and, and real truth, that we would use all the, all the gifts that you've given us to build your church by taking your gospel message to this world, that we do it sacrificially and lovingly, and that we wouldn't do it for our own glory, we'd do it for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.